Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I'm your host, Mitchell Crossan, and this is your Rose Bowl preview episode. So we've done our homework. We've looked into Utah. We've looked into Ohio State, and we're going to be at the game, covering the game. So we're very excited about that. And so let's go ahead, dive into Utah first, and we'll look back historically. We'll look at, obviously, the season they've had so far, and just look at the challenges that they present to Ohio State and why they have a good chance of winning the Rose Bowl this year. So Utah's had a great year. I mean, they won the Pac-12. They've hit their stride at the right time, and they've, they've already hit 10 wins on the season. So they're 10-3. and three. They just smashed Oregon. And head coach Kyle Whittingham has been among you know, the top candidates for National Coach of the Year. Now, by the time that we're recording this, we know that Jim Harbaugh did win AP Coach of the Year, which, I mean, he... Look, Michigan's had a great year, and no one's disputing that. I, I I think that that's definitely a good pick. I mean, you can't complain about that. But I also think that, you know, Cincinnati and what Luke Fickle has done have had a great year. Obviously, Utah winning the Pac-12 with Kyle Whittingham. They've had a great year. So there were a lot of great candidates, and Kyle Whittingham definitely deserved to be among the top candidates for that award. But let's go ahead and press the rewind button a little bit and just take a look at what Utah has been in the past. So, a little bit of an Urban Meyer tie here as Kyle Whittingham actually succeeded Urban Meyer in what was his current role at the time of being head coach for Utah. So looking back, Urban took over as the head coach in 2003 and he actually chose to retain and keep on Kyle Whittingham as the D coordinator. And it was actually pretty funny. I watched an interview when I was looking into this and Kyle Whittingham said he actually thought he was going to get let go. Or he, he said he thought Urban was going to fire him. But no, Urban actually retained him. And, you know, Urban wasn't there too long, had great success, then moved on. But Kyle Whittingham took over as the head coach in 05. And it's been pretty, pretty much smooth sailing since then. You know, this was highlighted by an early 13 and 0 record in 2008. And this was when Utah was still in the Mountain West Conference. The Pac-12 expands in 2011, with Utah being one of the teams that joined. And, you know, just like any team that jumps to a Power 5 program, they struggled a little bit at first, and they went 5-7 and seven for a couple years, and then broke through finally with another 10-win season in 2015. Since that 2015 season, and including this year, Utah is averaging just over nine wins a year with an opportunity to have 11 wins this year, which would be only the third time that's happened since Urban Meyer was the head coach. So that'd just be great success for this program, who historically tends to have a really good year every now and then, but isn't known as being a perennial power. So Utah is 8-1 and one in Pac-12 play this year, with their only conference loss coming to Oregon State. Their other two losses come non-conference, out of conference, to BYU and San Diego State. So overall, 10-3, pretty good record. And honestly, I mean, I, I didn't even think they could have lost those games. So now it, it's it's very hard to go undefeated, and we've seen that, right? Cincinnati is still undefeated right now. I think they're the last one remaining. And so we'll see what they can do in the playoff. But you just look at undefeated teams over the last two years. LSU in 2019 and Alabama in 2020. And these are teams that we say are some of the best ever in modern football history. So to really go undefeated 
in a big time program, even though the Pac-12 is down, I understand, it's still very difficult to do. With that being said, Utah is definitely hitting their stride at the right time. And this does highlight their two wins over Oregon, where they put up 38 points in each win. And frankly, each game wasn't close. So obviously, they ended the regular season with Oregon and then proceeded to play them for the Pac-12 championship game. And they smacked Oregon in the mouth both times. And remember, they now have a common opponent, Utah and Ohio State, with Oregon. And Oregon smacked Ohio State in the mouth in week two. And Utah just took it to Oregon back-to-back weeks. So that's something we'll jump into a little bit later. But the point is, this is almost like a March Madness feel, where you look at the teams that are getting hot at the right time, teams that are on an upswing, that maybe won the conference championship. And that's what Utah is right now. So they're a team that's playing with a lot of confidence. They play very physical. And they've just made it very clear that they are the best team in the Pac-12 conference. Not only did they take 12, take home the Pac-12 championship, but Kyle Whittingham is the Pac-12, Pac-12 coach of the year with linebacker Devin Lloyd taking home Pac-12 defensive player of the year honors. Lloyd was a Buckus Award finalist. He did not take the award home with him, but I believe he's one of 10 youths to be named all Pac-12 first or second team. And I'm sure that those, it's going to be all, all, all Oregon or all Utah. But point is, Utah has really hit their stride, and this is the point of the year where they need to, especially if they want to go into their first ever Rose Bowl game and come out with a win. This Ohio State team is not perfect by any means, and we'll jump into Ohio State a little bit next. But this is definitely going to be a game, and I I think Ohio State's favored by six and a half right now. So, you know, touchdown, okay, fine, that's what Vegas thinks. But Utah has looked pretty good, and, you know, if they didn't lose early on in the year, they could be in a completely different spot right now. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump over to the Ohio State side. And as we know, this is Ryan Day's third year as head coach. And also another Urban Meyer tie here, where Urban Meyer took over the head coaching duties with the Buckeyes in 2012, coached through the 2018 season, where his last game as head coach for the Buckeyes was actually in the Rose Bowl where Ohio State beat University of Washington, I think it was 28-23. Final score in that game, don't quote me on that. But Ryan Day has taken over and has done a very good job with the program. Now, I know that they've had two losses so far, but let's just let's just not panic, Buckeye fans. Let's just take a look historically at what the Buckeyes have done. Everybody knows that they're a perennial power They're a current power. They're a historic power. They're one of a handful of programs that has been good historically and has continued to ride that success through 2021. So right now they're sitting at a 10 and two record. If they didn't win, if they ended the season with a 10 and three record, that would be the first time they've lost three games since 2011, where they went six and seven and Luke Fickle was the head coach. Now remember the tattoo gate, I guess scandal, we'll call it, that surfaced in 2010 with Terrell Pryor, Boom Heron, Devere Posey, guys playing for Ohio State at the time. Long story short, and this will be a pod we'll get into in the offseason, they exchanged memorabilia for free tattoos. And that's just against NCAA rules. Now, I look back and it just seems so silly. 
that they can't do it. And Ohio State really felt like got kind of a harsh punishment. They lost wins. They were on probation, etc. They couldn't compete for championships when they went undefeated in 2012. So I think it was a little harsh, but we'll get into that in a different episode in the offseason. But point is, and I hate when people use this saying, but when they say, oh, well, that, you know, that win or that season, you have to put asterisks next to it. In this case, in 2011, I really do think you do. Because after that scandal came out, you look at quarterback like Terrell Pryor and all these other guys that said they're going to come back. And then this surfaced. And they're like, you know what, I'm out of here. And then Jim Treslow was forced to resign. So the program was in complete disarray. And true freshman quarterback Braxton Miller was forced to start when he was not ready whatsoever. Now, they had some big wins. They still were able to pull some things together, but they also had a losing season. So let's go ahead and just move that 2011 season off to the side. The last time Ohio State lost three games without taking into account the 2011 season would be the 2008 season when Jim Trestle was coach. So historically, Ohio State's winning 10, 11, 12 games every year. Other than 2011, and then other than the COVID year last year when Ohio State went 7-1, and one, you could expect a 10-win season out of the Buckeyes. Moving back to the present day, and let's talk about Ryan Day. So, Ryan has done a fantastic job with the program and taken it over since Urban Meyer left at the end of the 2018 season. Now, we've heard the shots that Jim Harbaugh has taken at Ryan Day saying, you know, something along the lines of some people think they're standing on third and that they hit a triple. Pretty much implying that Ryan Day is just riding the wave of success in players that Urban Meyer had and left for him. Which, in a sense, sure, because you look at that 2019 team for Ohio State, which was very, very good and very dominant, even though they were not able to pull it out and lost a tight game to Clemson in the college football playoff semifinal. Point is, Ryan Day's working with players with Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, Jeff Okuda, Jordan Fuller, guys like that who have gone, Terry McLaurin, which was from years past, but guys that have gone pro and have been just very good players, not only in the NFL, but collegially as well. Urban Meyer obviously had a big part in recruiting those players to come to Columbus in the first place. Now you look at a guy like Justin Fields. Ryan Day went out and got Justin Fields. That was all Ryan Day. Urban Meyer, that was not his doing. Urban Meyer was kind of like the guy, the final, the final push, right, to sell something. You know, you, you see Justin come on campus. And then you see Urban Meyer talking him up when they're at an Ohio State basketball game. But that was all Ryan Day going out to get Justin Fields. So let's not let's not look at Ryan Day's success just as a formula based off of Urban Meyer. Recruiting, I would almost say, I'm not going to say it's gotten better since Urban, but Ohio State has consistently pulled in the number one wide receiver. Each class they pulled in the number one DN. This last year, and the recruiting has been very, very good. Now they've had they've had some misses, they've had some gaps, right? And we've seen that show up defensively, right? They don't have a linebacker now. They have C.J. Hicks coming in next year, and he'll be a stud. They've missed a couple cycles recruiting in the defensive back field, but you know they have true freshmen Denzel, or excuse me, two freshmen, 
Burke that we saw play this last year, who was pretty much the back end of that defense. So you're seeing some players start to come around again for the Buckeyes, but for the most part, Ryan Day has done a very good job, especially with keeping Ohio State up in terms of recruiting. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into the Rose Bowl game itself. So as we mentioned earlier, and as we all know, Utah and Ohio State have played a common opponent this year in Oregon. So, and I know everybody has talked about this a thousand times, but for the sake of the preview, in week two, Oregon ran all over Ohio State in Columbus, and Ohio State could not stop the run. Now, week two versus week 12 can be completely different teams. And in this case, it was starting to look like it with Ohio State. Because remember, when they played Minnesota in week one, I think it's Mohamed Ibrahim, if I'm saying his name right, ran all over the Buckeyes in the first half before he went out with an injury in that game. But that should have been a little prelude for Ohio State fans to go, "Mm, okay, stopping the run might be a problem. Now, of course, it's one game, and you're not going to panic after one game. But then you see Oregon come in, run the same exact play, almost like a halfback sweep just to the left of the tackle and just walk into the end zone untouched and there's nobody there to stop him. They ran that play over and over. Now you have two games where you're you're looking at yourself and you're saying, defense is a problem. Now going back to last year, Ohio State made the national championship game. They beat Clemson. They boat raced Clemson in the semifinal. But a lot of that I think was just Justin Fields and what he was able to do in carrying that team. Um, Trey Sermon, obviously, they went and got him from the transfer portal, had a huge game in the Big Ten Championship, so he helped. But defensively, the Buckeyes were not good. Now, that was with stopping the pass, as we know, with Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner, just going all over the Buckeyes in the passing game. In terms of running the ball, Najee Harris had some really good runs, but the Buckeyes were fine stopping the run. That wasn't a problem. And it almost feels like that they spent so much time working on stopping the pass, and now they can't stop the run. Utah has played Oregon twice and absolutely smashed them each time. Um, I went back and watched some clips from the Pac-12 championship game, and Anthony Brown was uncomfortable both games, in the regular season and in the Pac-12 championship. So I think that's going to be a key for Utah. And we saw what Michigan did to C.J. Stroud, and actually Aiden Hutchinson talked about that in an interview um, with the Heisman Trophy. But he just said, look, you know, C.J.'s a great player, but he's just sitting back there. No one's getting pressure, and that offense explodes. But we know that if we can get pressure on him, it's just going to be a completely different game. And they did. They got pressure on damn near every play, and they won by two touchdowns. Now we, we can go back and look at Utah and They made Anthony Brown roll out of the pocket. They forced him to make plays. He's not a playmaker. He's more of a game manager. And that's when I started to see him make really bad throws, trying to force throws into really tight windows. And then you start seeing interceptions or you start getting your defense off the field. And then your offense can start pulling away. Utah is more physical. Utah can ran the ball. And it looks like that they can present the same issues that have played Ohio State so far this year. So this is by no means, I think, going to be a walk in the park for the Buckeyes. Switching over to Ohio State, obviously, keys to the game for them. Just containing 
the ball, the run ball on defense. You just cannot let teams continuing to just dissect you. I mean, when Michigan ran all over Ohio State, Michigan became one-dimensional. And that is almost the worst feeling probably when you're a defensive player is you're knowing what's going to come and you can't stop it. And Ohio State is usually the one that does that to other teams. But in that case, (laughs) against Michigan, a little bit of a role reversal. So Minnesota ran all over Ohio State. Oregon did as well. And Michigan did. Now, the one team that didn't, that had either a good running game or a promising running back, was Michigan State with Kenneth Walker III. But you have to credit Ohio State's offense for stopping the run for Michigan State. Because when you're Ohio State and you jump out to a 21 to nothing lead just like that instantly, when you're Michigan State, you can no longer run the ball. If you want to stay in that game, you have to become a throwing team. And that's what Michigan State did. They put together some drives. It didn't end with any points, a missed field goal, etc. But Kenneth Walker III ended that game with six carries for 24 yards. And Ohio State took him completely out of the game because of their offense. Now, with that being said, on the first snap of that Michigan State game, D-tackle, Haskell Garrett for the Buckeyes was in that backfield and dropped Kenneth Walker for either no gain or one loss. But point is, when you have Ohio State's offense absolutely explode like that right away, you just took the running game out of your opponent's hands. So I feel like Utah is going to try to replicate what Michigan did to the Buckeyes. And that's what I would do too, because Utah and Michigan do have a similar feel, not so much in the sense that Utah has that same personnel. I don't think Utah really has an an Aiden Aiden Hutchinson or David Ajabo, but they have some really good linebackers and can get pressure. And they have guys that look really good and will be really high draft picks like Devin Lloyd, etc. But if they can run the ball, and dominate the line of scrimmage like Michigan did, that not only keeps Ohio State's offense off the field, but doesn't allow them to get into a rhythm like we saw in that Michigan State game. Because once that offense takes you over the top and explodes, it's just an avalanche. And unless you're ready for that shootout, it's not going to end well for you. So we'll see what Utah can do as they come out of the gate. But, you know, the Buckeyes, they have a lot to fix. You know, obviously they just hired their new D coordinator from Oklahoma State. He's not going to be part of the program until January 2nd. So in the meantime, Ohio State does have, you know, about a month to fix these issues. But this is good. This is going to be a game. Don't don't doubt it. And this will be something that we're very excited to go to and see, you know, what happens with Ohio State's dominant offense. And if Utah can kind of recreate the successes that Michigan and Oregon had against the Buckeyes. Okay, I did want to go ahead and start talking about Utah a little bit, just in terms of a national perspective and what they are as a program. So with Ohio State, we know who Ohio State is. Everybody knows who they are. Historically great, currently great, a perennial power. They have a strong offense. They, have, they recruit well. They have the brand name, etc. Enough to be said, really. But with Utah, it's interesting. Because when I look at Utah, I kind of group them in a tier with teams like Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Penn State, Oregon, as programs where if you're a head coach, if you're Kyle Whittingham, as long as you are, I don't want to say moderately successful, but 
a little bit. If you are winning games and continually having winning seasons, winning 10 games a year, adding in a conference championship here and there, you can be at these programs forever. I did put Oregon down just because they, they have no national championships. I know that the expectation is to compete on the national stage. But if you're going 11-2 for the Ducks, I don't think they're going to complain about that. Same with Utah, Wisconsin. I mean, Utah is 10-3. Even if they don't beat Ohio State, it's going to be seen as a very successful year, especially because you beat Oregon twice and you're the Pac-12 champ. If you're Ohio State, if you lose, it's going to be seen as a failure of a season. And for a lot of Ohio State fans, it already is seen that way because you have two losses. Not only are you not the Big Ten champ, but you didn't even play for the Big Ten Championship and forget about the playoff. You, you did not make that. So that just goes to show you the difference in tiers of being a perennial power versus being a tier below. And I put these other programs like Wisconsin in this tier as well because Wisconsin is almost a Utah of the Big Ten, if you will. Wisconsin's always good. You know, it feels like they're in the Big Ten Championship game playing Ohio State like three out of four years or something like that. Always have a good defense, good running back, good players, a game manager at quarterback, but can never really take the top off a team and never makes that final push to become a perennial power or even put themselves in a position to make the college football playoff. Same with Oklahoma. And Oklahoma was a little interesting for me. It might just be the current state of the program, but it added them in this tier as well because Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops, etc., I feel like they could have stayed at Oklahoma for as long as they want. Now, we know that Lincoln Riley has moved on and since gone to USC, and we'll get to USC in a second. But Lincoln Riley was consistently winning Big 12 championships, dominating that conference, yet could not get it done on the big stage. Now, they made the CFP a couple times. Kyler Murray made it cute and close against Alabama where they had a little bit of a comeback. Baker, May- Baker Mayfield... Had a great game against Georgia, but they were not able to capitalize and push past almost that that fence, if you will, in the CFP. And with Lincoln Riley and who he is as being still a young coach, a bright guy, really smart guy, offensive-minded guy, guys like that are programs love. And I feel like Lincoln Riley could have stayed at Oklahoma for almost as long as he wanted as long as he was still continuing to win the Big 12. I don't think Oklahoma would have booted him if he was winning the Big 12, but not really getting it done in this CFP. I put a couple other programs in this tier as well. I put Penn State with James Franklin. James Franklin's getting a contract extension. I mean, that pretty much speaks for itself. I did think James Franklin might look at USC, and maybe he did. I thought that You know, he has that Hollywood personality, very outgoing guy, very personable. So I thought he'd fit in well there. But point is, he he likes Penn State. He wants to stay at Penn State, and Penn State likes him as well. They are the little brother to Ohio State in the conference. Now, we'll see what what Michigan can do, because they've had a great year. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But Penn State has always been a tier below Ohio State. And then, just the last one I want to touch on out of the brief programs I put in here. I put Oregon in as well, and I talked about it a little bit already. But when Chip Kelly was head coach, and he might come back now, a couple appearances maybe to the national championship game, but they were not able to get things done. 
similar to almost Oklahoma to where if you're winning Pac-12 championships, even if you're not bringing home the CFP championship, I think you can be there for a very long time. You know, I thought about putting in programs like USC, LSU, and Texas in this tier, but I couldn't I couldn't do it because you look at these programs, especially these three in particular, while all three are currently down, their expectation is to still be in that Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson national power group. And I'm not saying that programs like Utah, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Penn State, and Oregon don't want those championships. I just think that they're a little more realistic on what they are themselves, especially at this point in their program's history. USC just got Lincoln Riley. That was a home run hire, and USC's been bad. They've been down for a long time. LSU just got rid of Ed O, who won a national championship for them in 2019. That team will also be an offseason pod, so we'll get into that a little bit later. But LSU's like, nope, we're ready to win now. Let's go get a head coach who consistently pulls in 10 win teams for another power. Oh, Brian Keller from Notre Dame will take you. And then let's talk Texas. Texas fans have been trying so hard to be relevant. And what, I think it was since 2009, where they had Colt McCoy and lost to Alabama in the, what was BCS National Championship game. That was the last time Texas was relevant. I don't care that they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl or whatever it was when they had Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman as coach. Texas has not been relevant, and they've been trying so hard to get back into the national picture. They still expect championships. We'll see what Sark can do. I understand the hire. I don't think it's going to be easy. You know, he Sark went to the Alabama school of offense, and, you know, that's what Bill O'Brien is doing now, right? You guys can kind of revive their career a little bit, going and playing under a Nick Saban team and just transforming that team into an offensive jugg- juggernaut. So we'll see what Sark can do. We'll see what he can pull in in terms of recruiting. But remember, Texas is joining the SEC with Oklahoma. So that's going to be a hell of a lot of a, a lot more difficult of a challenge. So let's see what Texas can do. That's going to conclude this episode of Sideline Exposure. So as always, thank you for listening. Stay posted for our Alabama Cincinnati preview to come out on Sunday the 19th. And then the following Sunday on the 26th will be our preview for Georgia-Michigan, which should both be really good games. I think Georgia-Michigan will come down to the wire. And I think Cincinnati actually has a shot to dethrone Bama, who's once again at the top of the college football throne. So stay tuned for those. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Silent Exposure. Follow us on Twitter at Silent Expose. Give us a rating. Give us a comment. And as always, thank you for listening.